uh, talk to you about what we experienced in January when we went to Brazil. And Pastor Shane asked if I could share some of that with you, and I think that's a great idea. So, uh, guys, there's, there's a picture of me and Esther talking with microphones. You want to put that picture up? Yep. Oh, there it is. <laughs> So we were in Brazil and we were there, I was there for six weeks, but Esther was there for three months. And uh, we were asked to hold a conference for a local church in Joinville in Santa Catarina. And uh, I'm only going to share two photos with you. Problem is when we're preaching, we're not holding cameras and, and we had a little bit of trouble with getting some good media back. But, uh, but I want to share some stories with you anyway. And uh, it was just such a great time. Just as a little bit of background, Pastor Flavio, who's the pastor of this church, Igreja Baptista Shalom in Joinville, uh, he's Esther's oldest brother. And um, we've got an interesting history. When we first met, he wouldn't even come into a room if I was there. So it, it was quite difficult. But later on, uh, we became quite good friends. And he came to India with us when uh, Micah and Shalom came to India with us as well. And, and he saw so many miracles there and, and, and it impacted him so much that he said, you've got to come and do something in my church. So we did. And uh, his goal was for his church to actually see miracles because they hadn't really seen a whole lot of miracles before. I mean, typical because most of us, we, we don't see miracles often. And so, so he wanted his church to experience that for themselves and actually to believe that they themselves would be able to pray for people and see miracles as well. So that was our goal going in and it was fantastic it was fantastic we we opened up with a, a Sunday meeting and then on the Wednesday we started the crusade and uh and it just went off. On the Wednesday night, we had a number of people healed. I remember probably the, one of the best miracles that I saw was on the Wednesday night. There was a lady that she had a problem in her hand and her elbow, her wrist and her elbow, actually. And uh, she'd been seeing the doctors. They said there was nothing they could do. It was a degenerative disease, very painful. And eventually, she would lose all movement in that arm. But Jesus had other plans, and he did a great miracle for her on the first night. And he healed her. And, uh, and later on, she actually came back and gave a testimony about it, how great it was. And she said what also happened was she'd been feeling depressed for months. She'd just been absolutely uh, lack of energy and, and no motivation and just depressed. But something got a hold of her and she said she felt like she was 21 again. She was 23. No, no, she was actually in her 50s. And... And, you know, and her husband was very happy too. So I guess, you know, God really blessed them. And, uh, and so that was a great testimony. And uh, she gave that testimony on the last night of the crusade. So it was really great to hear it. Another one that I saw that was really good was uh, a woman I prayed for. She had a problem with a foot. And she'd had a reconstruction of that foot. Had a lot of pins put in and things like that. And she'd been in pain ever since. It was six years earlier. And for six years, she'd been in pain. So I prayed for her. And, and you might have seen me pray for people. And I get them to do something they couldn't do before or something that caused them pain. Because that way we can see whether or not Jesus has done anything. And so I was telling her, you know, Okay, treading your foot like this after a prayer, and nah, it still hurts. Did that a couple of times, nah, it still hurts. And, and then I just felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I said, okay, you and I, we're going to go for a little walk. And what, as you walk, Jesus is going to heal you. You ready? Yeah, okay. So we had two steps. I said, how is it? She goes, the pain's gone. And then she's jumping up and down, just super excited, totally healed. So we saw lots of miracles like that. Baby, how about you come up here and tell us, what was your favorite miracle that you saw? Oh, it's hard to choose one. I, we, I saw so many, but here we go. The story is about a lady called um, Nea. So Nea had her, for long years, she had problems on her back. She had problems 
problems on her hips. It was funny, I, I was telling Matthew this morning the story and I mixed the words, I, instead, the sound of H, I pronounce R. So I, I was telling him, I'm gonna tell the story about her rip. And he said, nobody will know what you're talking about. <laughs> but it's her hip. She had, she had a replacement done uh, throughout the days we were there because she spent lots and lots, lots of years trying to get herself fixed and they eventually came and had a surgery done on her hip. Uh, before that happened, we, she was telling me her story. I, I spoke to her. I prayed for her and I said, uh, Naya, if God doesn't heal you today, please come back throughout the week of the crusade and I'll have Matthew and the church again praying for you. So she, uh, then I haven't heard from her anymore. She went, had her surgery done on her hip replace, replacement. It was done on her. But she decided that she would come back for more because she still have her vertebras were uh, compromised. I think she has two or three very compromised. So, but still she decided to come back to the church to receive prayer. The day we saw her uh, in one of those meetings, she came along with, what do you call that? With her walking frame, very uh, debilitated. Though the doc doctors could fix her uh, hips, yeah, she still had problems with her back and she couldn't move. She was very sad because she was uh, a person that was very active in the community, in her church, and she could no longer move anymore without that frame. Cutting the story short, God healed her that night, and uh, it was joy. Not only her was super enthusiastic because she dropped the, the frame. She no longer needed the frame that night. The church was in fire. She couldn't believe it, and I learned my lesson. That God not always do things the way we want it, on the time we want it. Because I was really keen to see her healed when I first prayed. So I could tell Matthew, see, I prayed for her and God healed her. <laughs> but God, God didn't work like this. He said, now Esther, you will learn from this. So I learned my lesson that when there, where there is faith, there is healing. And uh, she didn't give up because someone prayed and nothing happened. And that might be you today. If you are in a need, please ask for prayer. She came back and she presented herself, I need prayer. The church prayed, Matthew prayed. She did movements that she could never have done without God, God healing her. So the honor and the glory goes to God. Amen. Amen. He's still here. I could feel his presence through the worship. So if you need something tonight, to, today... Looks like night, sorry, beggar pardon. Today, this morning, if you need something from the part of the Lord, He is here to give it to you. Amen? Amen. All right. So, now as I mentioned, we, we had a mission that wasn't just about getting people saved and healed. That's always great when you do an evangelistic crusade. And if you don't have that, you kind of haven't really kicked your goal, have you? You've got to have people saved and healed. But, um, but it was also a goal of, of enabling the church to be able to do the same sort of things and to expect God to use them to do the same sort of things. Now, last year, I wrote this book, uh, Keys of the Kingdom. And that's really all about moving in the power of God and, and how you can do it. And if you want a copy of that, come and see me. I'll tell you how you can get one. Well, some friends 
friends of ours in this church who I don't think they're here today, but anyway, incredibly generous couple, they gave us $2,000 before we left. And we thought, what's the best way we can use their money? And so we actually printed the same book in Portuguese and we printed 200 copies and gave them away at the conference. So that was really great. There was uh, one occasion we actually got called to hospital. A little boy had drowned and, uh, and he was 25 minutes without oxygen and then they revived him. And so we got called to hospital the next day to pray for him. And when I went, they actually had a copy of this book and they were reading it. So they were filled with confidence. And uh, that, that child survived, by the way. We prayed for him that day. And, uh, and I just felt while we were praying for him that, yep, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a recovery time. But, but God's going to give you a miracle today. I said to them, God's going to give you a miracle today. He's going to show you something today so that you'll know that your boy will be healed. Now, the doctors in that children's hospital, they only ever come in the morning. Doctors never come afternoon there. They only come in the morning. But that afternoon, the doctor came, she said, because she had good news she wanted to share with the parents that they thought the damage wasn't too bad and the baby should make a full recovery. So he's out of the hospital now. He's back home with mum and dad and, and he's on the road to recovery. But I think it's going to be a little while for that poor little fella. But anyway, so there's so many good things happen. But we, we really wanted the church to be doing it, not just us. And so what happened was in the middle of the week, uh, it, it seemed like things were stalling because, you know, the first Sunday and then the, the Wednesday, it was nearly all Christians that we were praying for. And yeah, they were getting some healings and stuff, but, but I know how things work. You see, signs are there to give direction. They're to help people find their way to Jesus. And if you already know Jesus, you don't need a sign. You just need obedience. So, so I, I said to the people, listen, I said, I said to the pastor, how many people here do you reckon aren't Christians? And he says, well, there's a few people I don't know, but I think most of them are members of other churches. And he said, but there's a couple there and maybe one over there that aren't Christians. I said, all right, that's not enough. Because we've got a couple of hundred people there. It's a church about our size. And then there was other visiting churches. So, you know, there's a couple of hundred people there. And, and I said to the people, listen, the signs are for unbelievers. You've got to have unbelievers here if you want to see signs. And, and you know, what's the point of doing this if people aren't going to get saved? So get out there tomorrow, really compel people. And I said, now to show you that God is going to do miracles when you bring the unbelievers, I want... Anybody here today that's not a Christian, put up your hand. And I said, I'm going to pray for you, and God is going to give you a miracle today. Now, you think about that. Would you dare to say something like that in front of a crowd of hundreds of people? God will do a miracle for you today. Okay, you, yep, two people put up, come on out. So this couple came out. Pretty scary. You know, I'm saying these things, but it's like I'm a passenger in the back seat and some crazy man's got a control of the car. And, and they came out and I thought, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. And I, I said to the lady, okay, what is it that you need from Jesus? I confirmed that they weren't Christians. They didn't go to church. They'd never been born again. I said, what is it that you need from Jesus? She said, I've been suffering with anxiety for the last three years. I have panic attacks. I get depressed. I've been on so many different drugs. as a psychiatrist give me. And nothing helps. I said, well, today you will be healed. I'm going to pray for you. And this is what's going to happen. You are going to feel the presence of God, it's going to feel like warm honey on the inside of you and it's going to go through you and you will never be the same again. Are you ready? She said, yes. And I prayed for her. And after a few seconds, I'm looking at her and she's like, oh. And I said, what are you feeling? She said, it's incredible. 
She gave a testimony on the last night of the crusade about how that day, everything changed for her. Everything left, the depression, the anxiety, everything left. And she changed that day. And then I said to her, her partner, her de facto partner that was with her, I said to him, what do you need? And he said, well, it's not for me, it's for my dad. Tell me about your dad. He said, well, he's pretty old and he had a stroke and uh, it nearly killed him, but we got him to hospital. And then while he was in hospital, he caught one of those hospital infections that antibiotics don't work against. And the doctors told us that that's gonna kill him and he's gonna die. I said, he's not gonna die. Hang on, how can I say he's not gonna die? I'm not Jesus, right? But I said, he's not gonna die. And here's what's gonna happen. Me and my wife, Esther, Tomorrow, we're going to go to the hospital and we're going to pray for him and he'll get better and not worse. He will only improve. And I said, okay. So the next day we went to the hospital and it was a miracle that we were able to get in to pray for him because they still have a lot of COVID restrictions for starters and uh, we're not vaccinated. And then secondly, um, we're not clergy. And to get into the intensive care, you had to be clergy. But when we went to the desk, we showed them our Australian driver's license and they didn't read English, so they didn't know it was a driver's license. They thought it was our credentials. And, uh, and they gave us a little clergy pass and then we went. And when we went in to pray for the man, his name was Nildo, I went up and I, I said, Esther was with me and the nurse that was with us was a Christian, which was great. And, uh, and she's trying to rouse him, but we couldn't get his attention because he was out to it, not because of drugs or sedatives or anything like that, but because of the disease. He was totally not with it. He couldn't make eye contact. He couldn't acknowledge that we were there, nothing. I said, it doesn't matter. We said that we would lay hands on him and from that point, he would get better. Well, guess what happened? We laid hands on him and we went home. He didn't look any different when we left, but that afternoon we got a phone call to say that, he was awake now and he was able to acknowledge there were people there. And then the next night, uh, the man's name was Sydney, that, 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 Sydney that, that came for prayer for his dad. Sydney uh, came out with the people who were getting saved. Even though we got saved the night before, we thought, oh, that's interesting. About 15 people came out and Sydney and Carla, his partner, were among them. And, uh, and then when we prayed for all the people, we said, what are you doing? And they said, well, I know I already gave my life to Jesus, he said, but I want to tell people what happened. I said, okay, gave him the microphone, didn't know what he was going to say. And what he said was that his dad had recovered so much that he was able to not only see people, but he was trying to talk to them, but he had a tracheotomy in, so it was hard for him to talk. And, and he was wide awake and, and lucid, you know, he was good. And the best part was the doctor said that the bacterial infection had completely vanished. He was healed. Amen? Praise God. So, so what I want to talk today, my title of this sermon this morning is Audacious Faith. Audacious Faith. You know, how could I possibly say to someone, come on out here and in front of hundreds of people, come out here, Jesus is going to do a miracle for you right now. Don't you think that's audacious? The meaning of audacious, the definition of audacious, there's two. And they can both be applied to the same situation. The first meaning is to be very bold and take a big risk. That's audacious. And that's a positive thing, to have the courage to take a big risk. But then the second meaning is to be obnoxious by taking a big risk. And in the same situation, you could be perceived as both. And I'm sure 
that when I said to the people there, come on out and Jesus will do a miracle for you right now. There were Christians there, because it was nearly all Christians, that there were Christians that said, you can't do that because only Jesus can do miracles, right? And that's true. Only Jesus can do miracles. But my audacity was in having faith in Jesus that he would back me up with whatever I said he would do. You see, if we have the mission right, and we have the message right, you'll get the manifestation right. You like that? I just made that up. If you get the mission right, and you get the message right, you'll get the manifestation right. That's good. I'll have to write that down for later. You see, most of us are like this. We come to Jesus, and when you come to Jesus, you get it all. You get the kingdom of heaven, you get the Holy Spirit. You get the love of God. You get everything. You get forgiveness of sins. It's like you have a billion dollars in the bank. Why a billion? Well, it's just an amount that you'll never be able to spend it all. That's what the grace of God is like in your life. But the problem is most of us have a billion dollars in the bank. We don't know how to make a withdrawal. We don't know how to do a transaction. We look at the bank statement and it says a billion dollars and we feel good about having a billion dollars in the bank. In other words, we're saved and we know, we know we're going to heaven when we die. But in the meantime, the impact it has on our life is minimal. But Jesus doesn't want us to have a minimal life. He wants us to have a, a wide open, spacious life. We need to learn how to make a transaction in the kingdom of God. And there are ways to do it. If you get the mission right and you get the message right, you'll get the manifestation right. So that's why I can stand up in front of people and say, Jesus is going to heal you today. Mark chapter 11, verse 20, 24. Can you put that up for me, boys? Jesus is out walking with the disciples. They head up to the temple. Next morning, as they passed by the fig tree, he had cursed. Actually, he's been to the temple. He's on his way home again. The disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Next verse. Peter remembered what Jesus said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Just hold that there. I want you to look at this. This is an extreme verse. Now, obviously, in other versions, it says it's slightly different. You're probably used to uh, the King James Version. It says, um, verily I tell you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the ocean, it shall obey him. He shall have whatever he saith if he doesn't doubt in his heart, something like that. Now, let me ask you a question. Come on, seriously. Was Jesus for real when he said this? See, either this is true or it's not. If it's not true, Jesus is either a liar or he's, he's uh, deluded. But I don't think it's either of those things. I think Jesus is telling the truth. 
Now, if Jesus is telling the truth, well, I've never seen a mountain cast into the ocean, but there is a principle here that he wants us to understand. So he might have been using hyperbole to demonstrate a point. And the point is this. Whatever you say, if you believe it in your heart, you'll have it. Whatever you say. Now, of course, the context has to be within the mission and the message of the gospel. It doesn't mean I can go out there and say, my Kia Sting is about to turn into a Corvette Camaro. Shazam. No, it doesn't work like that. Because that's not part of the mission of God. But if I'm about the mission and I'm carrying the message, I can expect the manifestation. Next verse. Next verse, buddy. 24. Yeah. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. It will be yours. I want to have a look at someone in the Old Testament very quickly. The prophet Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 3. With with Samuel's story, it's an interesting one because he's a small child and he's dedicated to God. And the Lord appears to him in the temple while he's still a small child. And he gives him this prophetic word for the high priest, Eli. He's using a small child to bring a word of, a very bad prophetic word to a high priest. But Samuel is faithful to the word that God gives him and delivers the word uncompromisingly to the high priest. And the high priest knew it was God speaking and blessed the lad. But it says as Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him And everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. Other translations say, the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground or fail. But I want you to notice what it says there. It doesn't say everything the Lord said that Samuel said. It says everything Samuel said. Show me the next verse. And all Israel from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord, Next verse. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. Next verse was 4.1. Interesting there, Shiloh, it means tranquility. But it's a place, Shiloh, but it means tranquility. You see, Samuel had this habit that he would get with God. And then when he went about his ministry, the message that he had was consistent with the message the Lord gave him. So the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground. Now, the Lord has given us a mission. And he's given us a message. Guys, I'll get you to jump forward to Mark 16, 20. He gave us a mission and he gave us a message. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, start on verse 20 there. In verse 15 it says, it's Jesus talking to the disciples, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, right? That's the mission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And here in verse 20, five verses later, we see the outworking of that verse. 
And the disciples went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Now, I want you to notice something. It says there, they went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them. When it says the Lord worked through them, that is literally the word synergeo in Greek, which means it's the same as synergy. There's a synergy between the Lord and us when we take his word. See, it's not something that we're doing on our own, and it's not something that he does without us. It's something we do together. And if we're doing it together, and we're doing our part, he will do his part. It says confirming what they said, confirming. That word confirming there means to, uh, to make it sure. <clears throat> For example, when I was 17, I borrowed 1,200 bucks and I bought myself a HT sedan, a Holden HT 253 V8, three on the tree, white hot special. Great car. I've always liked good cars. And, and uh, the bank wouldn't give me a loan though. So my dad signed off as the guarantor. So if I failed, the bill would just pass to him and he would pay it. And that's the same thing with this word here about confirming. It's the word bebayahu, bebayahu in Greek. Jesus confirms us. He guarantors us. He guarantees us. He makes sure our word. And what did he confirm? What they said what they said logos the greek word is there it's literally their speech and and why because the mission and the message was something he wanted to confirm and it brought the manifestation and the manifestation was by many miraculous signs now you might be thinking well how, how does this apply to me how does this apply to me i'm not an evangelist i'm not going to go to brazil and and do evangelism well that's okay you don't have to but see, here's the thing. I applied audacious faith, big risk faith. And as a consequence, we had a big outcome. And you can apply the same type of faith in your own life for the things that God has called you to do. Now, the faith movement in the United States started around the 1950s and 60s and it developed into something in the 80s that became a, you know, blab it and grab it uh, or, you know, confess it, possess it, this thing. And, and it became about money and wealth. And they took the truth, the beautiful truth of the word of faith and they misapplied it on personal gain. So I'm not talking about that today. What I'm talking about is having the faith of God to fulfill the call of God on your life, whatever that may be. You see, you are not going to engage the Holy Spirit of God or the power of God or the wisdom of God or the voice of God in your life to the full extent that you can unless you're prepared to have audacious faith, faith that can speak to mountains, faith that can say in the face of adversity and opposition, Jesus is Lord. This is the faith that moves mountains. This is the faith that makes the difference between uh, the sheep who never leave the pen and those who find greener pastures. Audacious faith. 
Now you might say, come on, man. Samuel, that's just one example. And that's Old Testament, and that guy was unique. He was unique. He was special. And he was special. There's no doubt about it. That was a period where God wasn't speaking. God raised him up to make a point to a nation. He was definitely special. I don't deny. In fact, he was so special. He's probably one of my favorite prophets in the whole Bible. I like Elijah. Elijah was cool. Elijah prayed and it stopped raining. He prayed and it rained. He, he, he called down fire from heaven. He outran a chariot. I mean, that guy was incredible. He raised the dead. And I think Samuel was probably at least as special as him. But let me tell you something. If you have a look in the scriptures, Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus makes this incredible statement about John the Baptist. He said, I tell you the truth, of all who ever lived, that includes Samuel, that includes Elijah. That includes Moses. That's, that includes Enoch, who God loved so much, he took him, he never died, he, God took him. None is greater than John the Baptist. But look what it says. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. I want to ask you a question. Are you in the kingdom? If you're in the kingdom, give me a little wave. Thank God there's a few of us here. Amen? If you belong to Jesus, if his blood was shed for you and wiped away your sins and you were born again and you became a new creature and the Spirit of God came to live within you, guess what? The kingdom of God is within you. You are a part of the kingdom. You are at least the least in the kingdom, which is greater than the greatest of the prophets. Say that again. You are at least the least in the kingdom, which is greater than the greatest of the prophets. So if God will do for Samuel so much that he didn't let any of his words fall to the ground, when he had the mission and the message, he got the manifestation how much more will your Father in heaven do for you to back you up, to be a guarantor, to ensure that the message of the gospel is confirmed and that you can trust Him with the thing He's called you to do? Amen. I don't know how many people there are here who feel like God has called you to something more. I hope it's everybody because God has called you to something more. I'm here every Sunday. I love Sunday morning. But if that's all there was, it'd be a long wait for heaven. But I need something better than Sunday morning. I need to be about the mission. I need to be about that message. And I need to be seeing the manifestation. How about you? Now, like I said, I don't know what you're called to do. Maybe you're not called to be an evangelist. Maybe you're called to be someone who operates with money and to have generosity. Well, how about some audacious faith with that? I'm not gonna ask you to give to the church because that, that would be, you know, I think perhaps wrong for the church to preach you to give audaciously to the church. So how about you give audaciously to the poor? How about you say, God, I know that you can bless me, so I'm gonna give so much 
that it hurts. Or, or maybe you've got some other sort of ministry. Your ministry is to serve and you're, or do the hospitality. Like, hey, we've got a great hospitality team here. How about you do that so well that everybody goes, what's with that person? They're crazy about this. And all it is is a hospitality team. How about you have audacious faith if you're in the worship ministry that you practice so much and you, you love your craft so much and you're so diligent in your ministry that everybody knows that when you're up there on the stage, the power of God's gonna be there because you're all about Jesus and making him manifest in the earth. That's what worship is. Worship leading, that's what it is. Worship leading is not about showcasing yourself as being a great talent and very articulate in your game so that everybody can hear how wonderful you sound. That's not what worship ministry is about. Worship ministry is about bringing the presence of Jesus into the house so that those people who have come to worship him will say, God was there. Amen. How about some audacious faith in every area of our lives? Fathers, husbands, audacious faith that says, I'm gonna go for it in my career and I'm gonna make something of this so that I can bless my family, I can bless my children, I can bless my community, I can bless my friends, I can bless the needy, I can bless the poor. How about it? Come on. Parents. How about audacious parenting that doesn't let the kid tell you what to do? How about, how about that, huh? How about that two-year-old learns then so you don't have to teach him when he's 16 to obey his parents? How about some audacious faith in our parenting? Amen. Come on. If I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> Baby. You'd have to say amen to that. If Matt can do it, come on, anybody can do it, right? Amen, amen. Praise God. You know, there were so many miracles we saw. I actually thought I was gonna preach on something different today because of my relationship with Pastor Flavio. And, and what I was gonna preach on was this thing about uh, in Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, it says, when Christ ascended on high, he gave gifts unto men, and some he gave apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry, yeah, yeah. But it says something interesting in verse 16, that it's for the purpose of causing growth in the body. And it says, it doesn't say by which every part supplies, but it says by which every joint supplies. Growth occurs not because a part did something, not a single part, but because of what the joint supplies, which is where at least two parts come together. That's a joint. And, and what happened with Pastor Flavio and us is we became so entwined in our purpose for that congregation. Guys, put up that photo for me, the other photo, will you? We became so entwined in our focus for that congregation that my audacious faith was that before the end of that ministry, we would have a team of people in that church that were fluent in miracles. And guess what had happened? On the last night, after all was said and done, we stood there and uh, I had a circle of all these people around me just before this photo was taken. And it's late at night. It's like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, right? And look at how, they look like it's first thing in the morning. Crazy people. Well, I had a circle around me 
and I said to him, okay, because I let him loose. I said, you guys are going to pray for people tonight. I'm not going to pray for anyone. I'll walk among you. Esther's going to walk among you. We'll help you out if you need it, but we want you to pray. You're going to see the miracles. And boy, did they see miracles. And I said to them, okay, who saw miracles? At least 80% put up their hand. Yep, they prayed for someone and saw a miracle. Fantastic. What'd you see? So they're giving all these testimonies about the miracles they saw. And then I said, so what did you learn this week? Wow, it blessed me so much. They fired back one at a time. All these dot points that I taught them about how to pray for people, how to get results, how to unlock the power of God. They caught it. They got it. We kicked our goal. You know, it's not enough just for me to become fluent in the things God's called me to do. I've got to impart something to you. You've got to get some benefit from it. Because I tell you, I went through hell and high water to learn what I learned. You've got to get a hold of this, people. Audacious faith is for you. It's for all of us. There's so much that's for all of us that we miss out. This church has been gone for decades and hardly ever seen a healing, let alone a spectacular miracle. But the pastor made up his mind. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to get this crazy evangelist that used to be, I wouldn't even eat with him. But I've learned he's not so bad and I'm going to get him to come and teach my church. You know, he wants us to go back now and take a team from his church on a mission up in the north of Brazil. I can't wait into the Amazon. It's going to be fantastic. I'm not sure when, maybe next year. Get ready if you want to come. Come and learn some audacious faith. But it was so good to see these people. I mean, look at them. Crazy people, normal people like us. And, and, just to hear their stories. Amazing. You know, whatever it is you're called to do, whatever it is you're called to do, be audacious. Take a big risk. Some people might think you're being obnoxious. I'm sure when I called that couple out and said, God is going to give you whatever you want tonight, there were a lot of people there. I reckon there would have been a ton of people there saying, oh, this is going to be bad. He can't do that. But I learned something over the years. How about you take that big risk? Don't care what other people say. Don't care if they're going to tell you, hey, you shouldn't be giving so much to the poor, to the church or whatever. You've got to be sensible. Well, let them be sensible. You be audacious. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. There's been times I've given so much and I've got so much more in return. I, I testify. God is faithful in those things. Whatever it is you're called to do. If you're called to a ministry in this church, maybe you run a, a small group, a, a life group, maybe a part of the worship ministry, maybe a part of one of the teams that serves the church, you know, be audacious in it. Go above and beyond. You might not be the leader, but act like you're the leader. Own that thing. Own it and make it great. You can do it. Don't just be dragging your feet along every Sunday, but be there with an intention that you're going to make Jesus glorified in this thing now. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. You know, this church, they, they went gung-ho for us. They, they printed 5,000 of these little leaflets here, and they went and handed them out downtown in the shopping centers, and, and we went with them too. We, we did some of that ourselves. It was great. But I saw there a church that was willing to take a big risk. They applied themselves. 
to whatever the church was doing. They applied themselves to it. And guess what? They got the reward. We saw a lot of people saved. We saw a lot of people healed. It all comes back to us. You see, Jesus has done his part. And then he's made promises of what he will do. But all of the promises of what he will do are subjective. They require us to do something first. You know, even being saved. When, when you heard the gospel, saving faith would have come to you. But you had to do something in response to that for that faith to create in you a new person. And maybe here today, you're listening to this and you're thinking, wow, I want to know more about Jesus. Well, good, I'm glad you do. You have to put some feet on that faith then and you have to talk about it with someone. You have to, see, the Bible says, if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. There's always something we gotta do. There's always something we gotta do. So I want you to today, today, as we wrap this up, I want you to think about it. What is the thing that you want God to do for you? And then think about what is the audacious thing that I can do for Jesus? And then do it. Amen.